0: Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. So good to see you all today. Do you all have a good weekend? How many are loving the cold weather? Yes, Lord. I love it. Man, it's so good to be here. I want to encourage you guys. I I just saw that registration closes at midnight. Is that true? for the men's conference. If you haven't registered, register. It's going to be a beautiful weekend for the guys. So, ladies, this is your cue to elbow your your men next to you if they haven't registered. Um, It's going to be so good. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you so much this past Wednesday night. The harvest party was so beautiful, wasn't it? It was so beautiful. And... um, just y'all responded so beautifully by by serving and loving on people. I walked that whole I walked those 3 hours just walking around and meeting new people and uh, I probably met a couple hundred people I have never laid eyes on before. And they were here in this property and you loved them and you showed them who he was by your by your just your hospitality. It was just so beautiful. So thank you. It's a beautiful night. I want to jump right into what the Lord's given me for today. And a few weeks ago, we were in Revelation chapter 1, and then we were in Revelation chapter 4, and today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. Uh, 4 and 5 go together, and what we see in these, uh, two, verse, these two chapters, um, what we see is, is in, in these two chapters is how they have shaped the worship life of the church for more than 2,000 years, um Tamaris was started preaching my sermon up here earlier today, and all the songs were just so beautiful. Um, I, I, I believe that, that this chapter is gonna open this up for us even more today. But chapter five is really the centerpiece of the book of Revelation. Um it's it's where everything really comes out of. And John has, as we saw in the last couple times we've we've been in this book, John has been invited to look through an open doorway into the reality of heaven to see the unseen realities of what is going on there. And what it's unveiled to him is, um, what it unveils to us is that worship of the living God is going on all the time. It's going on all around us. Worship doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. Uh, We see that worship doesn't actually begin when we start singing. How many know that? And it doesn't end when we stop singing. It takes place all around us all of the time. And I, I, I mean, literally, if we just started singing, worthy is your name, Jesus, and we started singing that right now, we'd be entering in before the throne of God with all of heaven that is singing worthy right now. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. The worship of heaven is continually going on without end. So whenever we enter into the worship, we enter into a service that is already in progress. And this morning when Charity and the team started our service, we entered into worship that's been going on for a very, very long time. It's actually the, you think worship at Hope's Long, worship in heaven. It never stops. Never stops, and it never is going to stop. When you worship on your own in your home or in your car, and you just turn your affections to him, you begin to sing and you begin to bless the Lord, you're entering in with all of heaven before the throne of God. The book of Revelation, as we've said, just to understand it, because I know that there's a lot of thoughts about this book, but the book of Revelation is about Jesus. It is the revelation Of Jesus. It is the revealing of the risen, ruling, reigning one who sits upon the throne, who is coming and who is coming again. And I I believe like for John, that our greatest need in this day is a revelation of Jesus. It's to actually see him to see the reality of Jesus in the midst of our present day realities. How many have some present day realities? We all do. And here, John, who's been sent to this prison island called Patmos that we talked extensively about, has an apocalypse. And we said that that word really just means an unveiling, a pulling back of the curtain. And John has this pulling back of the curtain into the throne room of God. And he is invited to come up and to actually see what's going on around the throne of God. How many would love to come up and just see what's going on around the throne room of God? He's invited to come up and see a reality that is greater than his current circumstance. And he gets to see into a realm that's going to shape for him everything about his present reality. See, when we are shaped by our present reality and not shaped by the reality of what's going on around the throne of God, we will only have a limited view. But when we are shaped by what is going on around the throne of God it changes our view of what's going on around us. And church, I believe that Jesus wants to give us a right now reality of who he is, of his realm, of his kingdom, in such a way that actually causes us to be unmoved by what we see around us, unshaken by whatever may come in this, in this season or the seasons to come. And as we look at the throne room in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5, we begin to see a reality that is greater than what we can see with our eyes. Today, we're going to look again into the worship that's going on before the throne of God. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read the first two verses. We were there last time, but I want, this, is the, this is the intro to 5 as well. John says this in verse 1. He says, I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven and a voice says, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. Jump over to chapter five, verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Who's seated on the throne? God, at this point, the Almighty. I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. John says, I began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So John sees and he looks and he sees in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne, a scroll. So he's looking in the hand of the almighty and he sees this scroll and there's writing on this scroll on the inside and the outside. And it's sealed with seven seals. What is this scroll? This scroll is the scroll of history. This scroll is the plan of history. This scroll contains the full account of what God in his sovereign will has determined for the destiny of the world. It shows how God is going to establish his kingdom on earth. And the number seven, we're going to see it several times here. As we go through this chapter, the number seven is the number of completeness. Okay. So the scroll, what it's saying here, this imagery is saying the scroll contains the completeness of God's plan is in the scroll. John's weeping because there's no one that can open it. There's no one that can implement it. And he's, he's grieved. But this scroll in it contains how God is going to establish his rule in the world, how he's going to establish his, his plan to make wrong things right. And in that plan, it involves confronting everything that hinders love, Everything that hinders your love to God and everything that would try and hinder his love to you, he's going to confront it. And how he's going to do that is in the scroll. He's going to confront impurity. He's going to confront unrighteousness and sin and darkness, all evil that stands in the way of his purpose. And this scroll contains the meaning of the history of the world. How many say that's a pretty important scroll? Contains the history of the world, but in that, it also includes the meaning of your history and the meaning of my history. And I believe today that it is impossible to exaggerate the significance of this moment and what this moment in Revelation 5 means for, for us. Here's what it means. Get this, church. It means that in the midst of the chaos in the world around us, Or the chaos that we might be experiencing in our own very lives. There is a scroll. I've been in it a while, so I got this. There's a scroll. That's an amen moment. There is a scroll. There is a divine orchestrated plan in the midst of all of the chaos And in the midst of all of the pain. And in the midst of all of the suffering. And that plan is held firmly in the hand of the Almighty. There is a plan in the hand of the Almighty. That should be a song. There's a plan in the hand of the Almighty. Turn to somebody and tell them. There is a plan in the hand of the Almighty. This should release great hope to us today. And in that scroll that is in his hand is the plan for complete restoration of all things. What the earth is groaning for, what you and I are longing for, what was forfeited by the first Adam will be regained by the one who is able to open the scroll. And what we see here is this loud angel is looking for the identity of this man who can open the scroll. And he says, who can open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the plan of history and bring history to its foreordained purpose? Who can implement and execute what is in this scroll? Who could possibly be able to do this? Who is smart enough? Who is wise enough? who has that much power? Who has that much strength? Who is worthy to do this? And, and it hits John so deeply. No one. There is none. There is no one worthy. And he weeps loudly, it says. He weeps intensely because of it. He's overcome with despair because it's too much to bear. There's nobody in heaven or on earth, it says, or under the earth that's able to open it, to look into it, so it seems. But as we've said several times, things are not as they seem. And John, this visiting human with limited perspective, how many would say you have limited perspective? But how many would say, I want more perspective? That's why we're doing what we're doing today. That's why we're looking into this, because we want the perspective of heaven. He has limited perspective. Because of that limited perspective, he responds with despair and hopelessness. Tears flow because of his limited understanding. And as he is weeping, one of the elders in verse five, one of the elders, it says, comes to him. And this is what he says. He says, weep no more. Behold. Weep no more, John. Behold, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So this elder here, he sees John, he, he sees his weeping, and he approaches and intervenes with John in such beautiful leadership. And what does he do? This elder instructs and he corrects his perspective in two ways. How many know that sometimes we need to be corrected and directed in our perspective? First, he tells him, he says, John, stop weeping. It's not that weeping is bad. There's a time for weeping. It's that John's weeping was hindering him from seeing the greater reality. The elder is saying, stop doing what you're doing because it's hindering you from seeing what's really going on. Things are not as they seem, John. I wonder if sometimes we experience unnecessary grief And unnecessary anguish and unnecessary tears because we're looking at the wrong things. Because we're so focused on what seems to be happening in front of us instead of beholding the unseen realities that are happening in the spirit. That's a word. That's a word to awaken us. Sometimes I believe we get so swept up in what's going on right in front of us that we're unable to see what God is actually doing this is the very heart of this book this is why i believe revelation is so powerful it's it's the heart of this book it's an invitation to see what is really going on before the throne of god so you can perceive rightly what is going on in front of you john needed a repositioning of his mind he needed a repositioning of his heart To see that his sorrow was actually blocking his view of the one who was before him. And this leadership, this elder, he gently directs John's attention to what? The lion of the tribe of Judah. This is what good leaders do. They point to Jesus. They point to Jesus weep no more. The second instruction the elder gives, behold. Weep no more. Behold. Look. Look up. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, this Jewish man has conquered. He can, is what he says. He can do it. He can open up the scrolls of history. He can unleash the fullness of God's plan for the earth and the new creation to come forth. He can do it. He is able. He can execute this plan. Church, why do I feel so passionately about this? Because I've watched the church get sidetracked in all kinds of things that are going on in the world and getting their eyes off of Jesus. And this morning, I'm calling the church to bring our attention to the throne of God, the command center of the universe. This is why I am passionate about this. In the seasons that are here and the seasons to come, church, this is where we must be rooted. This is where we must set our gaze and set our eyes upon the one who is seated on the throne. I want to declare over you today that you are included in the plan of this scroll. Some of us have our eyes so focused on what our perception is of reality, but we need to look up and we need to behold the one who has the plan. Not only the one who has the plan, but who can open it and implement the plan. Some of us are weeping and we don't need to weep any longer. Why? Because he's able. Because he is able. And instead of partnering with discouragement and hopelessness, we're invited to lift our eyes to the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one who has conquered and see that he can Not only he can, but he will accomplish every word that the Father has sent forth to accomplish. See, sometimes I think that we think everything depends on us. And we need, what is the little line like? We need to to pray like it depends on us, but I can't remember what it is. I ruined it. It doesn't mean that we check out of this moment. We're fully engaged in this moment, but we also are more engaged with the reality of his power and his might and his strength. That despite what I see, despite what I might even feel, despite what I might think, that I'm going to look at Jesus and I'm not going to fixate on the problem. I'm going to focus on the greatest reality of all realities. And that is that Jesus has overcome. When you live a life of beholding him, you can't help but live out of a place of overcoming. Hopelessness. Cannot remain. I'm not saying that there aren't moments. I've been discouraged many times, many times of of, of discouragement, even, even a bit of despair. But I want to tell you, when you are engaged in this way and your eyes are set, discouragement and despair cannot take root and continue. Why? Because I'm beholding, like the angel said, like the elder said, beholding the one who has conquered And who he is becomes the lens that then I'm seeing every circumstance through. I want to ask you today, are you looking through the lens of the lion? Because who he is, when that becomes my lens, I see every circumstance through him. This is what beholding is. Behold, look, looking at Jesus, learning to become most aware of who he is above anything and anyone else in every circumstance. Weep no more. Behold, the lion is overcome. That is a good word. So he hears this from the elder. And what does he do? He he turns his gaze away from the elder back, to the throne. And what happens next? You guys are so powerful. Are you with me today? I know it's a cool fall morning, but stay with me because I believe this is so foundational for us right now that God is setting up some foundation for us so that we can walk through things that are to come in victory with the power of the spirit. Amen. What happens next changes the way that we see everything. John turns expecting to see a big, gigantic, roaring lion. Roaring with the biggest roar you've ever heard. That scares everyone around in sight, right? That's what he expects to see. The lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. And he turns and he looks in verse 6. And it says between, a better translation is in the middle... In the center is actually what's accurate of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lion. No. That's where you correct your pastor. You got to read it for yourself. He didn't see a lion. He saw a lamb. I saw a Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Verse seven, and and he went and he took the scroll, this lamb took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Think about this. John heard something and then he saw something. We always hear something and then we respond to it. When we hear the voice of the Lord, we listen and we turn at his voice and then we see what he's saying. John turns expecting to see Aslan. And instead, he turns and he sees a lamb standing as if slain. The lion is has triumphed and I saw a lamb, a slain lamb. What does a lamb have to do with overcoming? There's so much to it. The lamb has, I'm going to touch on it today, but the lamb has seven horns, seven eyes, right? Does Jesus really have seven horns and seven eyes? Because that is not the Jesus I saw in the chosen. No, he doesn't actually have those. It's imagery. They represent something. Horns here represent wisdom. Sorry, horns represent strength. Eyes represent wisdom. Seven horns, symbols of strength. Seven eyes, symbols of wisdom, symbols of insight. Seven, again, the number of completeness. What does this mean? The lamb is not a wimp. The lamb is completely strong. The lamb is completely powerful. The lamb is completely wise. Church, Jesus has the fierceness and the fearlessness of a lion. And he has the tenderness and he has the humility of a lamb. And what Revelation 5 is telling us here is that the power that overcomes is the power of voluntary weakness it's the power of sacrificial love I saw a lamb the lamb wins by being sacrificed by sacrificing himself the revelation is that that almighty God brings the kingdom of heaven to earth through sacrificial love are you guys following me on this It's what Paul is getting at when he talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, where he says that Jesus crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul says that none of the rulers of this world understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Evil unleashed all its darkness on the lamb in his voluntary weakness and foolishness at the cross, and when they crucified him, it lost. Evil lost. And instead of a ferocious lion who hurts other people and takes it by that kind of force, Jesus, the lamb, overcomes by taking the hurts of others into himself at the cross. The lion overcomes by becoming a lamb and giving himself for the life of the world. This is what Revelation 5 is showing us. The lamb takes the scroll from the one who is on the throne. I want to tell you that's no small thing. There was no one else that could take that scroll. In other words, Jesus takes the scroll out of the hand of the father, out of the right hand. In verse 8 it says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... And the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The response to Jesus doing this, the response to the lamb by the elders and by the living creatures is worship, not just any kind of worship. It's fall on your face kind of worship. It's fall on your face kind of worship. The harp and the bowl, they represent the the worship and the prayers of the saints. I want to tell you, church, your prayers and your worship going up are precious to the Lord. They are brought into the very presence of God. When you pray, when you worship, they're brought into the very presence of God to the very throne room as incense before him. And they are put in bowls. The heavenly beings begin to worship the lamb, even as they worshiped God in Revelation 4. And they sang a new song. We sang it this morning. Worthy are you, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I couldn't help but think as Tamaris was singing in Portuguese a little bit this morning, like like we think about Jesus coming for Americans. He loves the whole world. (laughs) It's like every nation. There's millions of people all over the world worshiping this morning. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And get this, verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall, get this, reign on the earth. Whew, that's a series in itself. This is the song that they're singing in heaven right now. They're actually singing about him. And they're singing about what we're going to do. And it's a song of triumph, you guys. It's a song of God's victory over his enemies. I think we should be singing more triumphant, victorious songs. Because that is the reality of what's being declared in heaven. They're singing about what he has done. They're singing about what he did. This is why we sing about what he has done. Because heaven sings about what Jesus has done. The songs of heaven are about who he is and what he's done and what, he's, what he deserves. The songs of heaven are not for you and me. They're for the one who's seated on the throne. <laughs> Worship is not for you and me. Let's never mistake this. Worship is for the one who is on the throne. It is not for our entertainment or our goosebumps. It is for the one who is worthy. It is for him and him alone. And when the church gathers, the the lamb is receiving the rewards of his suffering as we worship him. Why would we ever hold back our worship? Ever hold back our worship? The lamb is worthy of praise because of his sacrificial death. Because he willingly laid down his life in love. Because his blood was poured out. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did what he said he would do. And we've been bought at a price. And our response is worship to the lamb. Jesus Christ, the crucified lamb, stands at the center of the throne. He wants us to see this right now. The lamb at the center of the throne because he stands at the center of the almighty. The heart of the almighty is the heart of the lamb. You're you're probably familiar with this. And I wasn't going to get into this because I don't want it to take us off track, but I believe that it goes very much. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a vision of the throne. Have you all read that before? I saw the Lord seated on the throne and his train filled the temple. When Isaiah had that vision, it was 740 BC. When John is having this vision, it's about 92 AD. And what they both saw was the same throne. <laughs> Some 800 years later, do you know how many thrones have risen and fallen since then? Yeah. Isaiah saw a throne. When he saw that throne, the, the seraphim and the heavenly host had to cover their eyes. They couldn't look upon the the throne. They couldn't look upon the one that was on the throne. But get this in Revelation 5, something's changed around the throne. Eyes are open. The four living creatures have eyes all over them. They're looking. The elders' eyes are not closed. Their eyes are open. And now, instead of the cry being, woe is me, the cry is worthy is he. something has happened to allow these creatures and the 24 elders to be in the presence of holiness and to look upon the one who is upon the throne before the lamb the posture of worship was fear after the lamb the posture of worship is worthy Amen. cue happy dances That's my word. Guys, I'm telling you, if we got that, we would be jumping. This is the truth. Hebrews says, let us draw near with confidence before the throne of grace. It is safe to approach the throne with confidence. It is safe to approach the throne of grace because the one who sits in the middle is the lamb. And his blood has made a way for us. That is what we see in Revelation 5. Worthy is the lamb who made it possible for us to be here. The song that they sing is worthy. The attention is him. The focus isn't what we aren't. The focus is who he is. And when you focus on who he is, it will change who you are. Because that's what happens in beholding. But if you focus on what you're not, woe is me. I am this. I am that. No, 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 no. You focus on who he is and it will change who you are. Worship changes who you are because beholding changes who you are. What are you beholding? He says, stop weeping. Behold. Look at this. You've ransomed every tribe, every nation, every people. He's talking here about the church. It's no longer just Israel. It's no longer just the Jewish people. He's ransomed everybody. What was promised to the Israelites at Sinai in Exodus 19 is fulfilled in the establishment of the church through the death of Jesus. So the church as a whole is part of his kingdom, and individually, we are priests to God. Turn to somebody and look them in the eye and say, You're a priest. Come on, you're a priest. You're a priest. And as priests, we, inv- we offer our entire lives now to the Lord. The whole of who we are as a living sacrifice. How do we do it? We do it through obedience. We do it through worship. Now our lives are not our own anymore. What did Jesus say? If anybody would come after me, you lose your life to gain it. This is the thing. Listen to what they say next. So powerful. They shall reign on the earth. They shall reign on the earth. Who is he talking about? The church. The followers of the Lamb. That is us. (laughs) That second service is going to be amazing. (laughs) Just kidding. I love y'all. I love y'all. This word reign here. It actually, really the the, the best translation as I dug into this is that it it should be present reign. Not just one day we will reign, but now in the present we reign. Why? Because the lamb reigns now. The lamb reigns now. And guess what? His followers reign with him now. How do we reign with him? In the same way he reigns. We don't reign like worldly rulers do. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We reign as Jesus did by taking up our cross daily and following the way of the lamb who was slain. It's the secret of history, you guys. God wins through sacrificial love, and so do we. This is the heart of God's way in the world with humanity and with history. The moment Jesus lays down his life, sacrifices his life, he wins. It's the way that he makes his kingdom come. The kingdom of heaven come to earth. It's the way he does it. His kingdom, I'll say this, his kingdom has come. I say it often, it's coming and it will come. This is what we're talking about. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to tell you the original purpose of creation will be brought forth to fulfillment regardless who is president of the United States or president of any nation or ruler or king or any of it. God's sovereign plan is coming forth. And that is what we see here in Revelation 5. The new creation is coming forth. And it's going to be brought to fulfillment. This is what this this scroll and these seals release ultimately the new creation coming forth that began with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we are reigning with the Lamb who reigns. I love that line that I said earlier there's a plan in the hand of the Lamb. That rhymes. If you leave here with anything today, I think that would be something to leave with. There's a plan in the hand of the lamb. And not only is it in his hand, he's already defeated death, hell, and the grave. What he's now doing is going to implement the plan. And we, the church, get to reign with him in seeing that kingdom come. And we do it the way that he does it, through laying our lives down, through sacrificial love. We are reigning with the lamb. We live and we work from victory, not for victory. This is important. We enter into battle with evil, not to win, because Jesus has already won. We're, we're a part of seeing what he has done come forth. Are you picking this up? The lamb is already on the throne and nothing and no one can dethrone him and nothing can thwart his will and his plan to bring about the whole new creation. Church, I want to tell you, it's just a matter of time. It's this old Misty Edwards song. It's just a matter of time until he turns it around. And we have a part to play in that in all the spheres of influence. You have a part to play at work in this. You have a part to play in government in this. We have a part to play in, in, in education in this. We have a part to play as a stay-at-home mom. You have a, a, a part to play in whatever it is that your assignment is. Ultimately, you get to reign with him and show them who the lamb is. And we don't do it like a lion. We actually do it like a lamb. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We cannot bypass the way to release truth. The way is the way of the lamb. The way is the way of the lamb. What's our response to all of this? We join in. Charity, I don't know if you're around, but come on. It's amazing. You call, I answer. (laughs) She's amazing. So our response is worship. when you're overwhelmed. There was this person I used to know that they used to post on Facebook, oh, the things on my mind. And they'd post the top 10 news article. And I kind of read it a few times. I was like, I'm fully depressed after reading this. I want her to get that off her mind. I want her to like get her mind on the throne of God because that's where the actual change can come from. What we behold matters. What we're looking at matters. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. He can and he will open the scroll. He will see the plan of God come forth. And that's the cosmic plan and that's the plan for your life and my life. Our one role is lay our lives down like the lamb did before him. Take up our cross. Follow him. This isn't our thing. We surrender to him. And one of the significant ways that we do it is through the worship of the lamb who's on the throne. It ends with this. We join in with all of heaven and we say with a loud voice, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain? can we read this out together? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy, worthy. Do you know how many words there are there that describe him right there? Seven. Why? Because he is worthy of complete praise. is worthy of complete praise. Worthy is the lamb. Stand with me this morning because I want us just to lift our hands to the Lord. We're going to take communion in a minute, but I want us to lift our hands to the Lord. And could we just declare that again out loud? That scripture worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Come on, lift your hands in surrender today and just declare it again. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing, blessing. Come on, just lift up your voices right now and worship the Lord. Come on, out loud. Let's just respond to this. Come on, just lift up praise to the living God. Lift up praise to the Lamb who is upon the throne. Jesus, Jesus, the conquering one, the mighty one, the mighty to save one, the one who who becomes a lamb and lays down his life. We are here your reward, your church. And we say blessing and honor and glory and power belong to you forever and ever, forever and ever.